0: and welcome to the Guelph Politicast. I'm Adam A. Donaldson of Guelph Politico. Today I talk to Cheryl Van Utegem and Marva Wisdom, who were the co-chairs of the Police Presence and Schools Task Force that was initiated by the Upper Grand District School Board. Van Utegem is the Superintendent of Education at the Board, and Wisdom is the head of Wisdom Consulting and is a community organizer with a long history of local service. Together, they led the nearly year-long investigation into the effect of having police officers in schools, especially the School Resource Officer Program, and that started after the Black Lives Matter March last June in downtown Guelph. The task force recommended, among other things, that the SRO come to an end, but that was not the easy decision you might have thought it was. Deconstructing that decision is the topic of this episode of the Guelph Politicast. Back in April, the Upper Grand District School Board unanimously adopted the eight recommendations from the Police Presence in Schools Task Force. Once schools reopen again, the police will still be doing foot safety and bus patrol training. The Violence Threat Risk Assessment, or VTRA, Community Protocol, will continue. But police presentations will now have to be reviewed in advance. Staff will collect feedback on those presentations, and school administrators will collect data on all police incidents on school properties. The biggest recommendation, though, was about removing the SRO from schools, and it's been the biggest point of discussion since the task force announced the results of their deliberations earlier this year. Come what may, police will now be an occasional presence at area schools, and not a frequent one. There's been some disagreement on that point. A letter sent to local media from Guelph Police Association President Matt Jotham said that they found the board's decision to end the SRO, quote, profoundly disappointing, because it let the police seek opportunities to proactively foster positive relationships, their words, with Guelph students. Members of the Wellington Catholic District School Board perhaps felt the same. They kept the SRO program, but they also proposed changes. Like the collecting of data and changing the ways that schools administer suspensions. Still, just last week, the Waterloo Region School Board voted to end their SRO after a top level review, which indicates that the Upper Grand Board was perhaps onto something. But this situation is so much more complicated than keeping the police out of schools as a way of answering the new civil rights struggle of our time, and it demands a deeper exploration. And that's what we're going to do on this week's edition of the Guelph Politicast. Cheryl Van Odegam and Marva Wisdom will join us to talk about the origins of the school resource officer program, how the functioning of the SRO has changed over the years, and why the program has needed a reevaluation for some time now. We will also talk about the expectations for the task force review that were set out at the beginning, how pressures on school police are not too dissimilar from the officers in the greater community, and whether or not there was ever any way to change the SRO program that could have answered community concerns, and finally, we will discuss the wide-ranging feedback that they received during the process, what factors went into the final recommendations, and whether or not this move to remove police from area schools is enough of an accomplishment for one year's work. So, I caught up with a Cheryl Van and Marvel wisdom last week via Zoom. So I am now being joined by uh, Cheryl Von Odegen. Hello, Cheryl.
1: Hello, Adam.
0: And I'm also being joined by Marva Wisdom. Hello, Marva.
2: Hi, Adam. Hello, everyone. So
0: uh, let's just start like sort of at the beginning because, and and I'll start with you, Cheryl, because um, I'm sort of old enough to not have had to deal with a a school resource officer. In school, I mean, I remember certainly there were police people in school, but they would normally come to talk about safety or they would come with Elmer the elephant and, and that kind of thing. But I don't remember having like a dedicated officer who would regularly be a presence in school. So can, can you talk a little bit about that history and how that program started?
1: Uh, The program has been um, in effect for many years here in our Guelph city schools. It does look different across the board um, and in many areas. Um, And that was part of the work of the task force to try and find out that consistency across our school board. When did it start in Guelph? When did it start in the county? Um, And in fact, uh, our Shelburne schools, uh, Dufferin schools never did have a dedicated resource officer. So that history looks different depending on the geographic area of the board.
0: And Marva, people will remember you were kind of um, one of the marquee uh, people on the that took part in the Black Lives Matter March last June. Um, Remembering back to that day, I mean, can you talk a bit about your thoughts in terms of, you know, you've been a community activist for years and years and years, heavily involved, just, you know, what your thoughts were maybe on that day, looking out at that crowd and thinking about, you know, what changes you wanted to see in that community, because that seemed like kind of like a definitive event, like a, a, something that, you know, historically speaking, we put a stake in the ground and we say, you know, now things are really going to change. What were your hopes looking out of the crowd that day?
2: Uh, well, Adam, I was, I mean, one of many community members, I must say, and others who organized the march, and I was there to support. And I know that um, uh, you, you use the term activist. As I get older, I'm thinking oh, um, whether it continues to be so. But I know that from uh, the time my children were young, it was important to be involved in their school, whether on school council or helping you know with a leaky roof leaking and putting the garbage can there whatever the situation is helping them in their classes um, or other kids that school needed to be a place of of comfort um, of safety for all of our children and i know in all of my activities it it really has come out of um, ensuring that my kids have safe space and other kids that look like them that they have safe space And when I looked out at the crowd, one of the things that occurred to me is all of this work that not only me, but many others have done, it just seemed that um, we have so much more farther to go. Uh, But it also gave me a lot of hope that the community at large is ready and understanding that we all succeed together, that we need to build safe space, for everyone to thrive. And so uh, for me, it was hopefulness when I looked out at the crowd. Yes, part of it was sort of hurt and why is it taking so long and why does this have to keep happening? Um, But the overwhelming, I say, um, after and, and in reflection was yeah that crowd was really great and and i think change is going to happen and i think it's going to have the support that is needed across the community that we need to build a better world for all of us for all of our children
0: Mm -hmm. i do remember this being discussed at the the board meetings last summer uh i did not get a chance to sort of go into my notes about how it all sort of came about but perhaps if we can put a pin in the idea that the task force was tasked with the end goal of ending the SRO. That was not the intention of the task force. Can we put a pin in that?
1: Absolutely. The the task force was asked to review police presence in schools to, to take a look at what um, was happening in schools to take a look at the data and Most importantly, to hear the voice of our community and our students. Student voice is something that we very much value.
0: I want to look at it this way, too. And I I re-examined the report going into uh, preparing for the interview. One of the things that struck me was um, some of the people who commented about the role of the SRO was noting that it, it wasn't just sort of they weren't just dealing with sort of like police matters in schools, that they were being... Uh, treated as like part-time counselors, part-time advisors. They, yes, there was like inspection and, um, you know, various police activities, law enforcement, that kind of thing. But they also were in an advocate role and a teacher. And it made me think, listening to Chief Kobe in, in various co- interviews on this topic too, It's what was happening in schools was a microcosm of what's kind of happening in the community with, you know, police are, you know, Emergency mental health workers, you know, emergency responders, um, you know, mediators, it, 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 it's it, coming out of your own research. Does that feel sense? Like, does that make sense too? that sort of what was happening in schools and is, you know, sort of a test of, or a, a microcosm, as I said, of what's what's happening in the community with the expectations being put on police?
1: Adam, I, I would say that in some schools, yes, that that is absolutely what happened without intention, it, it just sort of morphed into that, that resource officers began with one role and um, without the review, without the data collection, without that um, really introspective look at what was happening, that is what happened in some schools, not all schools. Uh, but certainly it did, and and without intent, uh, but reality, very much so. Mm-hmm. Mm. And I think even the police, that was the interesting finding for
2: us as well. You talk to different, um, uh, different police service, or OPP or other, and you're finding you're getting uh, different information around expectations. And if you think about school, within the context of what teachers are expected to do, what principals are expected to do, or even anyone coming into schools are expected to do, there was not that um, concrete accountability and and that uh, clear direction and reporting back uh, for police. So even police themselves had to, in some ways, the information that we were getting, not everybody was on the same page as to what the expectation was of them. Are they there to enforce? Are they there to befriend? Are they there to um, build PR? Is it primarily PR? Mm. This versus that. And so that becomes um, a a bit of a a challenge.
0: So I guess in your findings, just like how much was written down initially about, you know, this is... The student resource officer program. This is what a student resource officer is expected to do. This is, you know, how many hours they're going to do. Like, just in terms of like, sort of the formal, I guess, job description. Like, was there a job description, or was, you know, when when this was initiated, you know, somebody just said, well, it's a, it's a police officer is going to be hanging around in schools every now and then. They, they'll, they'll know what to do. They'll they'll figure it out. I mean, is, was it kind of that loosey goosey?
1: I, I can't really say if it was that loosey goosey. We, I can say that we were not able to get our hands on a job description. We did inquire, we did ask, but we were never able to get our hands on one. And, and Adam, to go back to your first question about the history of the program and then what it morphed into, knowing that it started 20 plus years ago, society has changed. Mm. Our students have changed. The people in our building, the expectations, how we dress, how we talk has changed and so just like curriculum changes uh so so do presentations so do people's presence within our buildings need to change as well
0: mm-hmm. marva maybe you could comment on this because one of those things i also took from the report is um the suggestion that perhaps there was training like like that if the sro were to maybe continue in some point of form In the future, perhaps there's some sort of training, perhaps, you know, officers can be better prepared. And this was sort of reflected in another thing I noticed in the report, too, where it said that the SROs who were regulars in schools had a very different attitude in how they approached the young people as opposed to an officer just sent in by dispatch. So, I mean, is, is this an area where maybe it's not so much? Yes to SROS, no to SROS. But is there, from what you've learned, is is there like was there any kind of room to make the program better in the future as a possibility?
2: I mean, those were all conversations and discussions uh, that took place at the deliberation table. We had so many um, presenters from different areas, whether whether it's mental health or those who've done research in this area in policing. Um, uh, folks from uh, from the schools and and their experiences uh, we gathered a lot of information had a lot of discussions and try to figure out how this could work and how it could work well or not like we, we left everything really open based on what our mandate was um, <clears throat> within our terms of reference and um, the more we ask, the thing is, if, if if policing is really uncertain and and cannot uh, f- uh, find, I- if there was no um, consensus in what the role was, it's pretty hard to say, make it training, as well right. we learn mm-hmm. from some forces that it is whomever is available or willing to go in, not necessarily one person, there might be a school elsewhere where it's just one officer that they have and it's that same person that's coming in all the time, but it's not always consistent. It, it varied depending on community, depending on needs, depending on the service. Uh, and so with all of those things up in the air, it's pretty hard to say, well, it, you can change it in midstream. There's just some fundamental shifts as Cheryl says, in 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 society and what safety means to kids and when this got started was it anchored in what the uh, what what we know now we talk about we didn't know back then what we know now right. and we see outcomes now that we didn't know then and by the way some of those outcomes there was nothing that we could see any with any consistency in writing, even from policing, so that we can look to some of their notes um, or some of their summary and say, okay, here's what went wrong. Let's fix it here. If you had record and lots of information, there perhaps is something to assess, but there was not a lot to assess other than some word of mouth. Cheryl,
1: am I correct in that? Yeah, absolutely. You're correct. in. As you were speaking, Marv, I thought about the changes in laws. Um, Marijuana laws changed within that period of time. And the presentations that we would be giving to students and the messages that we would be giving to students and the learning that students need to have in order to move forward in society would have changed.
0: Right. And one of the things I'm thinking about, Cheryl, is the SRO is almost essentially a staff member i mean the way it, it sort of is, is phrased and the way you're we've been talking about it it's like a staff member at the school you do not necessarily have any influence over because they are not formally a member of the upper grand school board staff and thus you know if, if there are issues it's not the school it's not within the school's purview to kind of change them it, it, it is it goes to the guelph police service and they have different standards. Um, again, not to besmirch anyone in in the service or, or anything. It's just that you have someone in the school that from a staffing point of view, you do not have any direct influence over.
1: That That's absolutely true, Adam. And our principals would be in touch though with the resource officers or with the Guelph Police Force or with the OPP um, if there were concerns or if there were questions uh, that communication in some cases was happening uh, back and forth. Mm-hmm. We did have we did learn that and have uh, an indication of that in some schools, in some cases.
0: Right. I'm not, I don't mean to infer it was the Wild West or anything, but, it, you know, it, it, the, the way, again, what, what Marfa was kind of getting at was just that. There was kind of no formal like the sro wasn't expected to form a, uh to to file a monthly report or a, a, it file the data they've collected it, it just seems like i hate to go back to the loosey-goosey term but it, it does feel like none of none of that was formalized is kind of what i'm getting at
1: um i would say that we we do not know that we know okay. that we did not see any formal report okay. or we did not we're not privy to that but okay. certainly nothing was filed with us as a school board
0: right which which I,
1: uh, which yeah, would I be an issue
0: that. right yeah
1: well and and that's why the recommendations and the changes <laughs> where we will now have that data where um we will see what's happening with police in our schools and we can react uh, proactively and accordingly uh for
2: everyone's safety I'm just going to interject this it, this point into it. And maybe you have a question about that later on, Adam. I apologize ahead of time. Um, it, it, it's, I think, it's. It is understandable that something that is sort of policing is, is difficult as it is, and and certainly um, in recruitment and everything else. If this is one of the the planks that's part of you recruiting folks to become police officers, or whether you you know when you're in police college, it's understandable that there's a feeling that something is being taken away um, from you. Right. It's how then we reconcile that with. Having to make change and transformation based on what's in the best interest of our kids, based on centering our kids. It's not that we the, the idea and the information and data that we gathered pointed to taking something away from you. It's pointing to how do we strengthen. Uh, and and build resiliency in our students and help them to feel great and safe. One of the questions that was asked during this and something that came up, um, what if police didn't have uniforms and they didn't have a gun? They were just wearing plain clothes to go into schools. And the response that we got was, police always have to be, they have to be police. So if somebody calls and they have to go on a call, leave immediately to go down the street. They have to be in uniform. It's part of the Ontario you know, um, police protocol. They right. are governed by the province. So there's no flexibility in that. And when we're looking at a school climate, and, and what the Board of Education has to do and what they have to build for the students, that's there's almost a dichotomy there. So that it's, it's those conversations, and I think when you have data and information and you can build on it, then there can be a meeting of the minds between the school board and policing and start from there the meeting of the minds in how do we, uh, how, what should this look like and what are the things that are going to serve our students best? And I think this is what the report Uh, And the recommendation is is working to present to policing and to education community.
0: You did cue that up beautifully because I did have that. That was my follow-up question was, I think people have gotten sort of so focused on the end of the SRO program, but there were like six or seven other recommendations. And what it seemed to me, and maybe you can correct me if I'm characterizing this wrong, is it seemed like we're kind of resetting the relationship between the school board and the police, because the police are involved in things you would ho- hope police would be involved in like road safety and making sure the, you know, the outside of schools is safe or maintaining that a, a relationship in case there's an emergency and, and having the police come in, if there's an emergency, it, it, it there is room to sort of, I mean, we don't want to suppose what the end game in, in any of this is we, but This is a reset in a sense, isn't it? To reset the relationship between the police and students and the school board.
1: That's a a great word, Adam. It is a reset and the school and police um, along with other school boards in our area have a police school board protocol that we want to um, ground our work in, our relationship in. It's a great protocol. It's a signed protocol. It's reviewed regularly. And we want to use that protocol to reset, to reexamine, to review, and to hold all of us accountable to this work.
0: I kind of want to attack, I think, a point of view um, that, that came out of this too, and and it, along with like a lot of the community feedback gathered. And I heard it at the town hall that you moderated, Marva. People like me, are white people, when you know, when I was growing up, we were told. You can go to the police. You can trust the police. If you're in trouble, you can go to a police officer. They are there to help you. But that is not the experience everybody, the same experience everybody has. But I mean, that point of view growing up with it informs so many people's experience. It just seems really, really hard to separate that from. And I guess this is a matter of kind of the work that's being done, but it's, it's really hard to separate that point of view that, you grow up, the police are your friend, the police are there to help you. And that's not the common experience with other people.
1: That, that, would, be, that would be true as, as you read in the report, there are many different lived experiences of people, um, of the BIPOC community, the white community mm-hmm. uh, with police. And, and that was our job as a task force to hear all those voices through a human rights lens, through an equity lens, not just the dominant group's voice, to hear all voices.
2: I might add to that as well, Cheryl, Um, in doing uh, this kind of research, survey, project, whatever you might call it, it's a combination of all of those, it's very easy to look at the outcome and look at the outcome. I always talk about first past the post where (laughs) um, the measurement is based on 50 plus one, if 50 plus one says that it's okay, then everything should be okay. Well, that wouldn't be using an equity lens, because we do know that um, just because you're not in quote, unquote, the majority doesn't mean that your voice should not be heard or that your experience should not be counted. Um, imagine the kind of world that we would live in if that's the way um, we operated, right? Mm-hmm. And We've seen the results of that and we don't like the results of that. It's not good for our planet. It's not good for us as human beings. It's not good for our mental health. And at the end of the day, it doesn't serve anyone. It might serve some in the, the immediacy but overall it doesn't serve us as human beings and so that's one of the things I think that came out of this report that's important when we get feedback that but you know there are people who say yay we should have this. Um, Well we know that that is not necessarily um, correct.
0: And the perspectives I found very interesting too, um, there was one section of the report that isolated BIPOC staff and BIPOC students and what I found interesting is that the BIPOC staff the majority of them felt that there were more negatives to the SRO than positives but the biggest percentage of for the BIPOC students like they they saw it like as neither one way or the other didn't didn't necessarily see it as positive or negative which I found very very interesting Um, because I mean it kind of shows the How 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 things change with age and perhaps having more experience with police in the outside world, perhaps color colors, the perspectives of members of the BIPOC community um, and how maybe that is sort of being formed right now as as it was happening in schools, as they were experiencing the SRO, how certain things were sort of being baked just in their interactions with police um, in high school.
2: And I think um, if you broke down even that survey a little bit more and be uh, specific in asking some questions, so you might have BIPOC overall as a group, um, but BIPOC overall as a group, then you have um, trans students, right, Right. that you have to look at and, and, and Indigenous students and maybe kids, there's an intersectionality that goes along with children's identity or all of our identities, aside from belonging to a group that's called Black, Indigenous and People of Color, you might have, if you, if you, um, if you interview a, a number of, uh, of people of color or even students of color and say their families came to Canada as refugees, that just came up the other day in another survey. And, and you had to go through different countries in Europe and you finally get here and say you were five, six or seven or eight years old and you know what your parents went through. If you ask those students about safety and about police and about Canada, they would be have a very positive image of policing and what safety is and what safety means mm-hmm. Then than someone who was born and grew up here and is a person of color or a, a young person who just recognize or realize that coming into their own sexuality and have to deal with that or some a child with mental health issues, different looks. So I think as a school board, in, in really looking very broadly and looking at the information received through an equity lens, it provides an opportunity to really say that we need all kids to feel safe we need all kids to know that their voice is being heard and that's the difference that it makes so while you have some groups who are looking still off of again majority minority um, voting and, and numbers then you have Others who are saying, wait a second, what does equity look like? What does fairness and social justice look like? What does safety look like? So those are the two areas that we have to work on in balancing and share information to raise awareness, um, not only for the community, but even policing as well.
0: And it's another reminder, though, just how hard this work is, because you can't take BIPOC as a homogeneous group that all thinks the same way that there are many divergent opinions inside, which is another reason why I found that particular part of the survey so interesting.
1: We also looked at those students and families who might live in the margins, mm. who live in poverty. And we also um, looked at those who might be struggling with mental health issues. So also those groups, our goal, our mandate was not just this specific group or this group, it was all groups. And some often get overlooked mm. more than others. And so I just wanted to bring that into the conversation, mental health, poverty, living in the margins.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, and there's another aspect of this I did not want to touch on too, which is rural and urban. Because looking at the responses to the surveys and the town hall, it really does seem like the Guelph community was particularly energized on this issue. And it may get to something you said, Cheryl, about how, you know, once we get out into like Wellington and Duffer, not all schools are engaged in an SRO program, but from, you know, sort of your, your perspectives, you know, what is, is, did, did the rural urban divide play a big role in sort of how you were, how you ended up looking at the SRO and and the programs?
1: Um, I would say no, I, I would say that we looked at it as the Upper Grand District School Board, which reaches from Shelburne to Aberfoyle, uh, rural and urban, uh, and rural areas are different across the board as our urban areas. So we looked at our urban areas, we looked at our rural areas, but our decisions were again made through that equity human rights lens. We kept that as the focus all the way through.
0: I wanna kind of look to the future a bit. we we've seen and realizing that you know we you you the two of you can't control what other school boards do of course but we we have the Wellington Catholic board uh voting to keep their SRO program so i mean i don't know how the numbers work but you know let's just say effectively half the schools in in our area still have an SRO program um at the same time you have Waterloo regional uh school board voting to end their SRO program too but then there's also kind of like I wanted to find it as kind of like halfway measure, because as soon as the SRO program was discontinued, you had the Wellington OPP come out with this community policing program. And I don't know how the two of you might feel, but I almost feel like the way they phrased it, it's like, okay, we can't go onto school property, but we're going to be like nearby, you know, kind of just in case. And I it just seemed to me like maybe they were using the letter of the law to defeat the spirit of the law in a sense. I mean, how, how did, how did you feel about that?
1: In, in talking with the Wellington OPP, um, I think they're working really hard to engage with youth and I think they have the best of intentions and I applaud them for uh, looking at different ways to engage with, with youth outside of the schools and, um, I, I congratulate them on their efforts and and thank them for that. Police
2: are partners of our community, and you know I can't imagine if I had a, a child who decided to go into policing as an honorable profession in the last year that that um, they would have had. And what we're here to do is to work out what is best for our kids. So when policing comes up with ideas and different creative ways of of trying to infuse equity and to build something that they think might work, um, we would love for everybody to feel that the police is fully trusted and there's that safety and, and there's that comfort. If that was where we were, that would be great. I think that would be a goal and that's an aim. So, If policing is working toward that, uh, then then that is something that is welcomed. I I can't forget a a research survey that I did many years ago, myself and others were involved in, that the community said that we have nothing against police Mm. at all. We encourage policing. We're just saying that there are different ways and better ways of of carrying out uh, how, how you serve our community. And I'll I'll always remember that because many people all of a sudden is a them against us and there's no them against us. It's how can we do things better for our kids and knowing what we know now, how can we change things so that it can reflect the kinds of society that we aspire to be.
0: Right. I mean, and then that's kind of like problematic with a lot of the, the, the various issues around these topics is that people do want to set it up as like, as, as an us versus them. And that's a very, that's a very careful tight rope. I imagine the two of you had to walk through this entire process that you, you were not reaching, pre- trying to reach predetermined conclusions that, and, and I mean, also trying to keep in mind and balancing points of view of like various different points of view. And I remember, and this stuck with me from the, t- again, from the town hall was uh, somebody who was uh, uh, the parent of a child with autism said that, they like the police presence in school because their child who having autism has trouble sort of recognizing, you know, body language and facial expressions. But they see the police uniform and they know that is someone they can approach. And, and you know, going back to these like small communities, um, making sure everybody's voice is heard. I mean, that that's I mean, I don't know how you guys did it. That's a tricky balancing act, to be sure. So I guess looking to, again, keep looking to the future. Is this going to be like a regular part of the the board process going forward? Like stepping back and looking at how the board is engaged? Like, is this going to be like, sort of like, I realize the work of this task force is complete, but is, is it going to be like sort of a regular part of your work at the board to sort of every couple of years or so look at the police? And now you're collecting the data too, of course. So is, is that... Is that something you're thinking about, Cheryl, that this is going to be a regular part of your sort of year is looking at the the police presence as, as kind of a regular part of the your, your the way you manage the the school board's activities?
1: Uh, I do see it as a regular part of our responsibilities. It is our responsibility and our due diligence, so uh, we are already uh, we a team here at the board are already booked uh, to meet with the Guelph Police and our um, OPP colleagues to look at the presentations that they'll be doing to make sure that they're curriculum related, that they are free from bias and stereotypes, and that they meet the presentation guidelines that the Upper Grand District School Board has set. So we'll be working on that this summer. Uh, We have already established presentation guidelines. Uh, We're working on letters that will be sent home to parents just to inform them that there's going to be a police presence in the school so that they know that. Um, feedback forms to collect data. What did you learn from this presentation? What do you wish that you hadn't or what do you wish that you had heard more about? How did you feel um, collecting that data? And we'll also be having principals collect data on when they call police. Why did you call police? And what was the outcome of that? So. Every year at the end of the school year, we will bring that data, that information, that student voice to the Board of Trustees for them to see. And we will take that information and then we will continue to work on uh, improving the work that we're doing. As Marva said, when we know better, we'll do better. So we see this as a a ongoing process of improvement.
0: And Marva, I wanted to direct this last question at you specifically. And I, I just to, to go back to last June, June, the, the day of the black lives matter March. I realized that for a lot of people, progress never comes fast enough, but you know, given from your breadth of experience, I mean, this kind of seems like the, the reevaluation of the SRO program seems to be the thing, like the concrete thing that came out of the last year of like debates and talks and, Um, you know, learnings and and all of that, just, you know, from whether it's, you know, (laughs) just trying to understand how quickly we are sort of making progress on these issues of equity. Is this sort of enough to come out of the year? Um, You know, like accomplishing this one concrete thing, is that good enough for a year of all of this tumult and discussion and um, engagement?
2: Well, thank you, Adam, for 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 saying that. And if you don't mind, I'm going to tweak a little bit by uh, <laughs> saying that. Um, I know of work that the school board was already doing, like a lot of equity work, and actually the the, the, the incredible Mississaugas of the Credit Elder that um, I'm doing work with now um, to support the city in its goal toward the elimination of systemic racism, that came from talking to um, Upper Grand District School Board, that recommendation as to how we can do better better at the work that we're doing. So I know that that work had already started and actually some even of some of the consultation that took place and some of the research came out of work that Upper Grand was already doing. So can't take credit for it starting um, with the march, but the march actually helped to propel work, uh, I think across the city. And I think it also helped for others to know what is going on and become engaged and feel comfortable saying we need change to happen. So the capacity which we ended up having for this work to be done, the urgency um, for the work to be done, it certainly propelled that, but the work in itself was being done. This, yes, this is fantastic and it's great, Um, However, there's a lot more work to be done. We've heard in the news, we've heard a lot of what's going on um, that is surfacing right now. And um, I mean, our hearts go out, all of us here, the three of us here, to Indigenous community members and others across the country and what they're suffering through now. The work has just started, Adam. I wish I could say that we could stop at one thing. (laughs) There's a lot to be done, but thankfully there's a lot of people who are reticent that it has to be done and that it will be done and we will see transformation for the betterment of our kids in the next generation, maybe in our generation.
1: Marva, thank you for acknowledging that. Uh, thanks for being part of this journey to do better with us. Adam, I, I would invite you and any of your audience to go back to the board meeting where we did the equity uh report card just a few weeks ago uh, that illustrates the amount of work that a team of people at this school board in this community uh, service agency staff have done is phenomenal and I can tell you that we have only just begun and that we are committed yes to doing better I can attest to Cheryl's commitment
2: working with her. She was fearless um, in navigating all kinds of waters. And thank you, Cheryl. And the team that we worked with recruitment from applications from community members across the school board. They were incredible. So hats off to them for all the work that they did as well. And Martha Martha supported it all along. I'm hoping that th- this is something that she can be proud of, a, a, among other things.
0: Well, my hat's off to two of you for taking part in my uh, podcast today. So uh, just to wrap up uh, the, the recording here, uh, Marva Wisdom and Cheryl Van Odigan, thank you so much for all your time today.
2: Thank, thank you, you, Adam. Adam. I appreciate it. Thank you, everyone.
0: And once again, that was Cheryl Van Odegam and Marva Wisdom. You can read the full 150-page report from the Police Presence in Schools Task Force on the Upper Grand District School Board website. You can also review the Guelph political coverage of the April board meeting at the political website, of course. And you can find some more links to some of those other news items that were discussed in the intro on the show notes page for this episode. And that is it for this episode of the Guelph Politicast. The music for the Guelph Politicast comes from KPM Classics and Sid Dale. The Guelph Politicast is usually recorded at CFRU at the University Center on the University of Guelph campus. And to learn more about CFRU, go to cfru.ca. You can download the Guelph Politicast every Wednesday from Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. You can also download it from the host at podbean at guelphpoliticast.podbean.com. And when you subscribe to the Guelph Politicast channel, you will get an episode of Open Sources Guelph on Mondays and an episode of End Credits on Fridays. You can get in touch with me by email at adamadonaldson at gmail.com. Reach me through Twitter at adamadonaldson or at Guelph Politico. You can find Guelph Politico on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Politico Guelph. And if you'd like to help build a locally sourced independent media outlet in the city of Guelph, then please consider donating to Guelph Politico. And you can find out how at GuelphPolitico.ca slash donate. And for all the latest local political news, check out GuelphPolitico.ca where there will be a new episode of the Guelph Politicast for you next week. And until then, we will see you next time.